This is the Moira Pentecostal Church podcast, providing you with sound biblical teaching. We hope you will be encouraged, challenged, and blessed by this ministry. Exodus 32. Uh, we have had a little break from our series, Moses the Man of God. I was abroad for a few weeks, and then we came back, and we had guest speakers, and then we had Mother's Day, and so we have uh, we have left this aside for a few weeks, but we're returning. We're on the last lap. The end is in sight, and uh, we just need to wrap things up. So Exodus 32, uh, we left off in our last message uh, with the Ten Commandments, and we talked uh, much about those. Moses has been up the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights, fasting, praying, seeking God, meeting with God, receiving the law and the Ten Commandments, and he's about to come down. Uh, But before we get into that in chapter 32, uh, let me say that whether whatever position of leadership you hold in life, that could be within your family, it could be in your job, it may be in your school or your college or your uni, uh, it could be within the community, it could be within a church, uh, whatever level of leadership you find yourself in, you are going to inevitably face conflict. It will happen. Uh, Job said that man is born under trouble as the sparks fly upwards. Uh, and that's a quaint way of saying that if you live long enough, you're going to have conflict. You cannot avoid it, it is unavoidable. But how do you handle conflict when it does come? Because it will come. And Moses, the man of God, as we have already seen, uh, has faced his share of conflict. Conflict with Pharaoh, conflict with his countrymen, conflict in the wilderness, and he's facing conflict here again. And even the great apostle Paul, when you read his letters to the churches, you'll see that there was conflict. Uh, He was having to deal with big issues. The church at Galatia, it was the Judaizers. The church at Colossae, it was the Gnostics. The church uh, in Corinth, it was everything. I mean, the church in Corinth, which is the most charismatic of all the churches, is the most problematic of all the churches. All kinds of problems. People taking each other to court and getting drunk at communion, would you believe? Had a party spirit. Well, we prefer Paul, we prefer Apollos. I mean, it it was just awful. Yet he loved them, and he had to write two letters to try to straighten their their thinking out on all kinds of issues. Uh, Even Jesus, Jesus one time said to his disciples, how long must I bear with you? (laughs) Can you imagine that? You can almost sense a little bit of frustration. How long must I bear with you? And so conflict is an inevitable part of your Christian experience or any form of leadership whatsoever. And so here he is, he's up the mountain, he's seeking God, God's speaking to him, and the mountain is on fire, and there's earthquakes, and there's thunderings, and he's up there, and he's fasting and praying, and uh, he's about to come down, and then God speaks to him. So chapter 32, verse 1. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us, As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now, this is incredible. 
He's only been up the mountain 40 days, just less than six weeks, and they have completely and utterly dismissed him. After all that he's done, after all that he brought them through, they've just completely dismissed him. As for this Moses, we don't know what's become of him. Forget about him. And they are rejecting God. Make us a God that brought us out of Egypt. You know, it's amazing if you're in leadership positions how fickle people can become. Regardless of what you may do for some people, some people become fickle. Uh, in 40 years, let me tell you, there's been people that I have sweated blood for who totally dismissed me <laughs> without, a, without even a thought or a care. How do you do with that? You suck it up and you go on and you leave it with the Lord. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. Otherwise, you give up your leadership position. And so you're going to find in your leadership role, at some point, someone will be fickle with you. And your tendency will be to get angry or upset or mad or whatever the case may be. And you may initially be that. But reel that back in again and say, I'll, I'll leave that with the Lord. I'll leave that person with the Lord. Because if you don't, you're not going to last very long in your leadership role. And so they have completely and utterly dismissed Moses, the man of God, in just six weeks. Actually, they're only months into their journey, and they've already done nothing but complain since they started this journey. After all they have seen God doing, they still have to complain. And so they dismiss Moses, and they're rejecting God. And they go to Aaron. And it's bad enough when, when people that's not related to you become fickle and dismiss you. But it's a million times worse when it's in your own family. This is Moses' big brother. This is his elder brother. And now he gets involved with this mob that has turned their back on God and Moses. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt." So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then he rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. If you read verse 25, it says they cast off all restraint. Without putting too fine of a point on it, they were having an orgy. That's what that was about. They rose up to play. So here is Aaron. Here is the brother of Moses. Here is the high priest of God. In fact, from Aaron all the way through until Jesus becomes the great high priest, every high priest can draw their lineage from Aaron. So he holds a highly responsible position before God and a tremendous privileged position above everybody, second only to Moses himself. And whenever they came to him, the first thing he should have done was says, no, 
We know where Moses is. He's up the mountain. We all know where he is. He's speaking to God on our behalf. So just behave yourselves. Stop this nonsense. Get back to your tents and let Moses deal with God and God deal with Moses. That's what he should have done. But he was a weak man. He was a weak man. Aaron was fine when Moses was with him. In fact, he was Moses' spokesman for much of the time. And he was fine while Moses was with him. But as soon as Moses is not with him, then his weaknesses show up. And he's a very weak man. Shouldn't have been, but was. And so he got involved. And he asked for their earrings, their gold, uh, and he melted it. And with his own hand, he fashioned a golden calf. This was probably the Egyptian bull god Apis, which was worshipped quite close to Goshen at Memphis, where they were. Uh, and so they would be familiar with this particular god and perhaps had worshipped it in Goshen because they were there 400 years and no doubt had begun to, in fact, the Bible tells us in other places that they began to worship Egyptian gods, some of them. And so Aaron should have stopped this, but he didn't. In fact, he became one of the chief instigators to actually do this, to make this false idol god. Can you believe this is happening? But it is happening. And all this is going on. In verse 7, And the Lord said to Moses, Go, get down. Uh, notice the way he, he phrases, For your people, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt, have corrupted themselves. <laughs> so, so God, you can see by his phraseology here, is kind of distancing himself. He says, These are your people that you brought up. You'll see how Moses reverts that in a moment or two. They've corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. And they have made themselves a molded calf and worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them, that I may consume them, and I will make of you a great nation. Hmm. <coughs> Uh, leadership is always tested and pride can be the big test uh, particularly in the work of God I think especially in the work of God that where if a man or of a woman uh, gets to a certain position uh, and who doesn't want to do their best for God and who doesn't want to be their, their best for God that would be good and right to do that and to be that but there comes a certain level of leadership and certain level of position where you can go above that and want to be known as the greatest. The greatest. Now think of the position Moses already held. Right now at that moment, he was the greatest living man on earth, literally. The most godly. The one that God spoke to face to face. He was in a very high position before God. I mean, apart from Abraham, the father of the faith, Moses was right up there as the greatest man in the Old Testament, the great lawgiver, the emancipator. And so it would have been easy for a lesser man at that point to jump at that opportunity 
to go above Abraham as the father of faith and to go above Abraham as the father of the nation. Uh, and God is making him an offer that lesser men would not have refused. But I thought, well, I've earned this. I've worked my way up to this position and God sees that and God's pleased with it. In fact, he's more pleased with me than he is with anybody else. And he wants to promote me even further. I'll jump at that chance, but not Moses. The Bible says that Moses is the meekest man that ever lived. And so there was a humility and a meekness which should be in all <coughs> levels of leadership, but very often isn't. And we can see that all around us. And so he said, God, if I can paraphrase, I'm so angry with these people. I want to consume them. I want to wipe them out and start all over again. Just rub them out, start all over again. They've broken all the covenants. They're not, they're disobeying me. In fact, they just broke the first two commandments and probably the seventh as well with what they've done. You know, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image. And then they were committing adultery with one another. I mean, it was just awful. That's why God's just given them the commandments. And so you can see why God was angry. And you can see why he would say, Let, let's, just, let's just get rid of this lot and start all over again. And I'll start with you, Moses. I'll make you the father of the nation from here on out. Uh, but Moses was a, a humble leader of men. And then Moses pleaded with the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against against, notice what he says, against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt. <laughs> now it shows you the relationship that Moses had with Almighty God that he could speak in this way. That he's reminding God, I didn't bring them out, you brought them out. They're not my people, they're your people. That's what he's saying. Your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Why should the Egyptians speak and say he has brought them out to harm them, to kill them in the mountains, and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath and relent from this harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants. Now, notice, notice here an interesting little thing. Normally, it would be said Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but he deliberately, consciously, specifically said Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. You remember that Jacob became Israel. That was his covenant name. And the sons of Jacob became the nation of Israel, and they were under the covenant of God. So he's reminding God of his covenant here. Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven. All this land I have spoken of, I will give to your descendants so that they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord relented from the harm which he had said he would do to his people. See the great love that Moses had for the people. Even though they were rebellious, uh, even though they had dismissed him, even though they had rejected God, even though they wanted to worship idols, <coughs> but he still loved them. And he reckoned underneath God's anger, he still loved them. And so he, in a way, he 
remonstrates with God. He, he argues with God. He says, they're your people. You made the covenant. I didn't make the covenant. You made the covenant. You said it would be forever. You know, so, so relent from that. You know, turn back from your fierce anger against them. And God listened to Moses. Now, I'm not saying that you and I are in that lofty position where we could remonstrate with God and argue with God. You know, Abraham did it over Sodom and Gomorrah. Moses doing it here, but uh, we need to be careful how we approach God. I don't think we're in that position, that lofty position there. But I think it's lovely that that God had such a, a love for Moses and such a respect for Moses. And, and such a, an understanding of Moses' humility and leadership, he says, okay, I'll listen to you, and I'll turn away my fierce wrath, and I'll not consume them all. And, and Hebrews, uh, the lovely writer to the book of Hebrews, in chapter 3, he picks up on this. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, Consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus, who was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was faithful in all his house, which was Israel. (coughs) For this one has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, insomuch as he who built the house is more honored than the house. For every house is built by someone, but he who built all things is God. And Moses indeed was faithful in all his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which would be spoken afterward. And he was faithful to his house. Absolutely. Even though they were rebellious, even though they dismissed him, but he was faithful to them. But Christ as a son over his own house, whose house we are, if we hold fast the confidence and rejoicing of hope firm to the end. So even though we mess up and even though at times we are unfaithful as children of God, but yet Christ is faithful to us. If we are unfaithful, he yet remains faithful. What a a wonderful leader is our Lord Jesus Christ. He's faithful over all his house, whose house we are. Amen. And Moses turned and went down from the mountain the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. The tablets were written on both sides, on the one side and the other side they were written. Now the tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. And when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, Joshua obviously is up the mountain with Moses. He said to Moses, there is noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the noise, is it not the noise of the shout of victory? It is not the noise of the shout of victory, nor the noise of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing I hear. And so it was as they came down near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses' anger became hot. While he was up the mountain and God was telling him what was happening at the foot of the mountain, uh, that was fine. He, he, He wasn't feeling angry. But when he comes down and sees what God sees, then he's angry too. Listen, church, there's things that we should be angry about. Sometimes we're angry about all the wrong things. But there are things if God is angry with something, we should be angry with it too. If it affronts God, it should affront us. And so Moses 
catches the spirit of what God is like, and he becomes angry too. And he casts the, he's not angry, by the way, for his own sake. He's angry for the sake of God. And he cast the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. Well, they had already broken the commands. Spiritually, they'd already broken them, so he physically breaks them that was on the tablets. Then he took the calf which they had made and burned it in the fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the children of Israel drink it. (laughs) What is he doing? He's getting them to own their sin, identify with their sin. Until we own our sin, we'll never deal with it. No matter what that sin may be, we have to own it and identify and say, that's my sin, that's my trouble. I need to deal with this. So Moses makes them drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? Hmm. You can almost think Moses is saying here, Aaron, I I can't believe this. What in the world did those people do to you that you brought this great sin on them? What did they do? No matter what they did, Aaron should not have joined in. He should have took his stand and said no. So Moses, in a sense, has said, "I, I can't believe that you have done this. What in the world did they do to make you do this? But you brought so great a sin upon. This was a great sin. That was a great sin for a number of reasons. That was a great sin because it was done even in the very sight of God. This was right at the very foot of the mountain that was burning with fire and thunder and lightning. And it had been like that for six weeks. And after a while, they didn't even see that. They got accustomed to that. They were blasé about that. At the start when it happened, they were so frightened. They went to Moses and they were shaken. And they said, let not God speak to us. You speak to us, but we can't bear to hear God's voice. But in just six weeks, they're just dismissive. It was a great sin because already they're breaking God's commands. It's a great sin because Aaron, the high priest, has entered in to their debauchery. It's a great sin because they're now worshipping a false idol. All the years they maybe worshipped false idols in Egypt, what did it do for them? Nothing other than they got the lash of the whip. And so it's a great sin for so many reasons. Oftentimes we don't see sin as God sees it and that's why it doesn't bother us. But if we saw it as God saw it, sees it, then it would bother us. So Aaron said, he said to Moses, do not let the anger of my Lord become hot. He sees Moses is really, really angry and he's getting scared. It's not a good thing for Moses to be angry. Aaron knows the power of God that Moses has and he knows that God is angry and now he knows God's servant is angry. So he's frightened now. In fact, in Deuteronomy 9 and 20, it tells us very clearly because in Deuteronomy, Moses is, is re-taking them over the story again, as it were. And in that, he says, 
if it wasn't for me stopping God's hand against you, you'd have been all dead on Aaron too. God was so angry with Aaron, he was going to wipe him out too. Only I intervened. So Aaron's not in a good position here, is he? And he knows it. And then he says, here's his excuse. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods that shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us out of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And I said to them, whoever is any gold, let him break it off. And so they gave it to me, and I cast it into the fire, and this calf came out. <laughs> really? <laughs> Nothing about your hand carving it, Aaron? You know, have you got... <laughs> Temporary amnesia here. What is this going on here? Selective memory, I think. Really? You just cast it in and suddenly, supernaturally, this calf come out? I mean, it's just so ridiculous, isn't it? But he's cornered. And he doesn't want to fess up, as we would say. And so he has to place the blame on them. It's their fault. And anyway, I just threw it in and look, look what come out. I don't know how that happened. Supernatural. No, Moses wasn't going to buy that. Sure he wasn't. And Moses saw that the people were unrestrained from Aaron, for Aaron had not restrained them to their shame among their enemies. And Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Ah. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. Every believer, regardless of leadership, every single believer at one point or other is going to have to come and stand on the Lord's side against whatever. Going to have to make a clear-cut choice. I will have to take my stand with the Lord. I'll either be with him or I'll be against him. There's no middle ground here. And Moses is making a dividing line. He's drawn a line in the sand. And he's saying, listen, if you're for the Lord, come over to me. If you're not, basically stay where you are. But if you're for the Lord, then take that step out from the rest and come and stand with me. And whether it is your job or your business or your school or your uni or even your community or your home, at some point you will be faced with a decision to be on the Lord's side. And it may cost you. It may cost you friendship. It may cost <laughs> you your job. And let me tell you, as Christians, society is turning against us. And they're making rules and laws and regulations that are making it tougher for us and it's forcing us into the position, and it's coming more and more where we're having to make a decision. We're having to stand up for the Lord, irregardless. And that's where we are today. Whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And, I, well, whether you're young or older, there's peer pressure, isn't there? To conform, to say nothing, to do nothing. To accept, accept maybe even the status quo. Don't get involved. Keep your head down. Say nothing. And it's getting tougher even in the workplace. You're not allowed to witness. Maybe you're a nurse. You're not allowed to pray for somebody at their bed. It's just getting tougher and tougher. And so the, the day is coming fast approaching when we'll have to stand 
and say, no, I'm on the Lord's side. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And that day is fast approaching. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. And, and then listen what comes next. He said to them, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, that every man put his sword on his side and go in and out from entrance to entrance throughout the camp, and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. And so the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Hmm, a few things about this. 3,000 doesn't seem a lot out of 2 million. But a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And had God allowed this to spread throughout the whole camp, the consequences have even been greater. So God is going to nip this in the bud right away. Now we can assume that the 3,000 probably were the leaders of this cabal that was raising up this false idol. Probably these were the ringleaders of it all. But notice here the Levites were given the challenge because they were on the Lord's side, go and slay these. It may be your neighbor. It may be your workmate. It may be your family member. It could be your brother even. But you have to put them down. Now that was a big, big challenge. A big challenge. Can you imagine them having to go out and face maybe a loved one and having to say, I'm on the Lord's side. I'm sorry, but I have to do this. And actually carry that out. Now, thankfully, I can't see us ever being asked to do that. I don't think the Lord wants to go out <coughs> with her family members, her unbelievers, her Christ rejectors, and put a sword through them. God's not saying for us to do that. But when you come into the New Testament, Jesus has some things, some challenges for us. And in Matthew chapter 8, Matthew chapter 8, reading from verse 18. And when Jesus saw great multitudes about him, he gave a command to depart to the other side. Then a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now was Jesus saying, I have no bed to lie in? No. He had many beds he could lie in. In a house he could go to. Well, what he's saying is, you're a scribe. If you follow me, then you're going to have to make a decision here because the rest of your friends won't like it. You will have nowhere religiously to lay your head. I'm an outcast. All these disciples mind are outcasts from the religious establishment. You will be an outcast. You'll have nowhere to lay your head. Do you want to do that? That's the challenge. Then said, another said, 
another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. So that seems a little hard-hearted, does it? But when you understand that when somebody died in the east, very often they were buried before sundown. Or maybe the next day at the most. Not like here where it's four days or England, it could be three weeks. So what he really was saying is, my father's old. Let me, let me be with him till he lives out his years. And then when he's dead and buried, someday in the future, then I'll come and follow you. Jesus said, no. He says, let, you, let the spiritual dead deal with that. But you come and follow me right now. You see, that presents a challenge for that mom and his family. In, uh, in Matthew 10, just over the page in verse 32, Therefore, whoever confesses me before men, him I'll also confess before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, him I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth, for I did not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be of his own household. He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. He who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, but he who loses his life for my sake shall find it. Peace on earth, goodwill to all men. That seems like a contradiction what Jesus is saying, but it really isn't. It really isn't. He's saying, listen, if you accept me into your life, a member of your family may come against you. Now, that may have happened to some of you, I don't know, but if you get on a plane and just fly a few hours to areas of Pakistan or Indonesia or North Korea or China, then if you become a believer, then this literally could bring a sword in your family. And they could literally want to kill you as an honor killing because you dishonored them and dishonored their religion. And so even though it's reading this, it's academic to us because it probably hasn't happened to us and probably never will happen to us, but it's just a few hours away even as we speak today, there's people and they have done this and they've been ostracized from their family. Might have been a Jew, might have been a Muslim, been ostracized from their family and some of them have been put to death by their own family for the sake of Christ. And so, whenever Moses says, who is on the Lord's side, come to me. There was going to be a price that was had to be paid for that. And so as believers, the day is fast approaching when it will probably cost us a lot more to stand our ground to nail our colors to the mast. So Moses, verse 29, Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day for every man is opposed to son and his brother. Because you have stood for me, because you have stood for what was right, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to honor you. You've honored me. I'm going to honor you. And that's always the way. Maybe tough at the time. 
You may feel I'm going to lose someone or something or a job or a family member or a friendship or a relationship. I'm going to lose them if I stand for the Lord. But it will pay you in the end because God will honor that and he'll find ways to do that. Now it came to pass on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin. So now I will go up to the Lord. So he goes up the mountain again by the way, for another 40 days. And by the way, that's 80 days. He's fasted. And 80 days without any water. Not a morsel of bread, not a drink of water past his lips. That's supernatural. You can do without food for 40 days, but you're not do without water for 40 days. And he did it for 80 days because he was in the presence of Almighty God. And God honored him. So Moses said, you have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, all these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Now, I'm reading this from the New King, King James Version. I don't know what version you have, but there's an interesting little thing here. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, and then there's a dash. Is that dash in your Bible? All right. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, and, it, and it's almost then he, he stops, and now he's thinking. It's almost as if, I, I don't know what to say about this. This sin is so great, it's so grave, it's so awful. God, you're so angry. Yet now, Lord, if you will, if, it's almost as if he's lost word. If you will forgive their sin, and it's almost, I don't know what to say next. Maybe he's thinking, God, if there's some way you can find it in your heart to, to forgive them. Lord, in your great mercy, if, if you could just, if this one time, if you could just forgive them. Did you ever pray about a situation and you come to the point where you just don't know what to say anymore? Ever been there? You know, you're praying about a person or a situation or whatever, and you get to that point and say, Lord, I, I just don't know what to say anymore. I'm lost for words. And so he thinks a little bit. But then he says this incredible statement, actually. But if not, if you cannot find it in your heart, but if not, and I'll understand, I'll understand, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. Ah. <coughs> Isn't that incredible? That in spite of what they have done, in spite of the fact that they have dismissed him completely, in spite of the fact that all they ever did was moan and groan and gripe against him, in spite of the fact that they have rejected God, he loves them that much. He's still saying, God, if you don't forgive them, if you can't, then just blot me out of your book of life. If you're going to blot them out, just blot me out too. Such was the love and the mercy that he had for those people. So when I, I say this message entitled Moses, the man of God, we're beginning to see how much a man of God he really was. Incredible. I don't think any of us could say that. But he did. Blot me out of your book, 
which you have written. The Apostle Paul, uh, he said something similar in, in Romans 9. You know that Romans 9, 10, 11, uh, in the book of Romans, uh, he's talking about the Jews because the Roman Gentile church had got to the position where they became very proud you know, because they didn't have to do all the rituals that Jews did and so forth, and they come in and, and it was all grace for them. And so, the, you know, they were excused from all of those uh, uh, laws of the Torah, all 16, 13, 113 laws of the Torah. And so they became very proud and puffed up. And in those three chapters, <laughs> Paul is reminding them, hey, listen, you wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the Jews. You wouldn't even have a Bible if it wasn't for the Jews. And so... He's reminding them in those three chapters. But in chapter 9, he says, I tell you the truth, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises of whom are the, are the fathers, and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all and eternally blessed God. Amen. Paul is saying, I have such a love for my countrymen, my brethren, who by and large had rejected Christ. He says, I have such a love for them. He says, I would even be prepared to accept being a curse from Christ and see them lost. That was Paul's great love for his Jewish brethren. That's a massive statement in itself, isn't it? But what about Christ? What about Isaiah 53? For it says in verse 8, he was taken from prison and from judgment. Who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. Jesus literally, literally became cut off for our sake. That's how much he loved us. It wasn't just a statement he made. He was literally, not figuratively, literally cut off for the transgressions of my people, he was stricken. And then in verse uh, 12, farther on down verse 12 halfway down and he was numbered with the transgressors and bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors Moses made intercession for the transgressions of his people Paul was willing to be accursed for his people but Jesus was cut off for the transgressions of the people cut off for your transgressions for my transgressions, he was cut off from the land of the living. No wonder the writer of the Hebrews said that Christ was faithful in all his house, even more than Moses. Glory <coughs> to God. And the Lord said to Moses, we're closing here, the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now Moses, you being blotted out of my book wouldn't save them. You can't save them. Only me can save them. 
No, Paul, even though you're prepared to be a curse for your people, but that wouldn't save them. Only me can save them. So God has sent to Moses, no. He says, you're not responsible for their sin. They are. And those who are responsible, I'll blot them out, but not you. Whoever sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now therefore go, lead the people to the place which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sins. And the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So some of his judgment was instant. Some of it was delayed. We don't know how many was plagued. We don't know how many more, maybe thousands more. But that sin had to be rooted out. It had to be nipped in the bud. Now, God willing tonight, and we just hinted in that last couple of verses, God willing tonight, I want to talk, following on from here, about the presence of God, the importance of the presence of God in our lives. What is the presence of God in our lives? How do we get the presence of God in our lives? How important is the presence of God in our lives? That's what we're going to deal with tonight, God willing, as we follow on from here. Because that's the one thing in the next chapter that Moses was so concerned about. God, I want your presence in my life. I don't want to take another step without your presence. That's what his great concern was. So we're going to look at that tonight. Amen? Lord, we give you thanks that you have put all of us to whatever degree or level within leadership. Help us, Lord, to be good leaders. Help us, Lord, to be humble, not proud. Help us, Lord, to be sensitive, not hard. Help us, Lord, to be the people that you want us to be and need us to be in these days. And help us, Lord, when the time and the moment arrives that we must take our stand for you and for righteousness' sake. And Lord, the days we're living in is going to be tough, but with your Holy Spirit and with your grace, we can and we will stand with the Lord. As for me and my house, we will follow the Lord. So Lord, that's our declaration this morning, that we will follow you. So give us the grace and give us the strength and the courage to be able to do that for your sake, for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We produce a variety of sermon videos and inspiring Christian content available for free on our YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Moira Pentecostal or visit our website for more information, www.mpc.org.uk.